This is Discussion Drone Table, episode number 011. On today's episode, we welcome in JJ, otherwise known as Hollywood. We discuss your experience with mountaineering, as well as search and rescue. Insight on what to expect if you want to get into it yourself. Welcome everybody to Discussion Around Our Table. We're here today with... JJ, you've heard us kind of reference her the episode with Eugene. She's the one that we affectionately refer to as Hollywood at work. Uh, we'd like to welcome her today. She's going to talk a little bit about her experiences with climbing mountains. Yeah, uh, I don't, that's not necessarily how I got the name Hollywood. Um, actually, that's 100% why I got the name Hollywood. Um, but uh, here we are. Here we are. At least it's better than a horrible nickname for doing something dumb. Yeah. Like Ghost Rider. But. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, mine can be, you know, I got to at least tell the story where at Hollywood Unless you have an action that. figure, too. Yeah. Yeah. And it works out. Yeah. That works out. But, but, yeah. So, I mean, how long you been mountain climbing for? Or just kind of doing the outdoor thing? So, I've been a part of the hiking, mountaineering community, I would say at least, I want to say five years now, if not a little bit longer than that. Um, I kind of... I kind of got back into it. Um, I used to hike a lot when I was a kid. I lived in Ellensburg. We'd go hike up Menashtash Ridge and stuff like that. And then um, I took a hiatus, went down, lived in Texas for a couple of years, and, uh, which is really boring. There's nothing for mountains down there. So when I came back, it was kind of like hit the ground running. And I just started hiking regularly. And I, and I met a bunch of women that way. And some of which are still my best friends is just from hiking or climbing or doing something outdoor related. That kind of just started. And I remember the first year that I started really getting back into hiking. I met some really awesome people who had climbed some really big mountains. Pretty much that just ignited the want to like climb Mount Rainier and, and do stuff like that. So. so what was your first one that you would call a mountain? I mean, everyone you know, has been to the top of you know, different passes or whatnot, but what would you say was your first true mountain that you climbed? So the first true mountain that I would say I climbed was probably Olympus. Uh, I went with a group of people and unfortunately I wasn't able to summit. You wear what are called crampons, which are like prongs that go on your boots to help you climb on the ice. And the route to Olympus is like 18 miles in just to the base camp, not to the glacier. Um, and then when we started up Snowdome, my, my crampon broke, so I couldn't, I couldn't finish. So my friends, um, Jessica and Jackson, they continued on, and we weren't able, half of our team wasn't able to summit. And that's the, probably the first, like, actual technical stuff um, that I ever got to really go out and do. And I'm fortunate that some people that I knew were wanting to go climb with me and kind of teach me some things. So that, that was the first big mountain that I actually got to go do. So then since then, how many mountains have you checked off the list? I have no idea. I remember when I went to the academy uh, that year before I went, which was, I think, 2016, 2016. Um, I did all of Washington's volcanoes in like a time span of six months. So um, when that happened, I did... Mount Rainier, I did Glacier Peak, I did Mount Baker, I did Mount St. Helens, I did Mount Hood. I think I'm missing a Washington volcano, but um, I did all of Washington's volcanoes plus Mount Hood, at least the primary volcano. And those were the 
those were all of the Washington big ones that I would consider like predominant mountains, like Mount Rainier. Mm -hmm. Um, And since then I've done Rainier twice and I was hoping to do it for the third year in a row this year. It's just life. Yeah. Life and work. Everybody gets busy. Yeah. Life and work caught up. So unfortunately I wasn't able to do Rainier this year, Um, but it's definitely a goal for next year, especially since like getting Jacob into climbing and stuff and having him um, working up to being, being, my climbing partner would be great to have him go up Rainier with me next yeah, year. Yeah, it's probably a lot easier to schedule with a, your boyfriend going with you as opposed to trying to get other people from exactly. other areas. Exactly. And, like, I'm one of those people that I could climb the same thing over and over again with new people. That's not an issue for me, especially since there's so many different routes on some things like Mount Rainier. You never get bored. Like, some people will get bored of mountains, but something like Mount Rainier I don't think I could ever get bored of. Yeah. So what kind of time commitment is that that if someone wants to go – Summit. They already are experienced enough that they could do it. How long do they usually have the plan for to do it? So I know some people, um, like some really well-seasoned mountaineers that can do Rainier in a day. That's a little excessive. Uh, but personally, some of the people that I've climbed with, we've done it in a two-day spree. So, And usually it's really weather-dependent. Like um, the first time I went, we were planning on taking three days. We were hoping to get up to Camp Muir, hang out, acclimatize, and then do another day of acclimating because my friend Maura, she kind of gets some altitude sickness. But when we went up there, it was like, today's your day to climb or it's not happening. So we did one day up and camped at Muir and then we summited and headed out. So it was a two day trip on that one. So. All right. So when you say that you're climbing mountains, I mean, what it all is that tell me? I'm guessing there's hiking involved yeah. and then there's probably trekking through snow. Yeah. Is there like actually like what you see on TV with people using their little samurai sword thingies and stick them in the ice and climbing up that way and freehand rock climbing type stuff? Or was it just more trekking with your crampons and that kind of stuff? So I think a lot of, um, a lot of mountaineers tend to use climbing mountains instead of hiking mountains because, mm-hmm. because of the aspect of it being more technical. You know, anytime that you have to rope up or use an ice axe or um, you have to consider snow conditions or falling or um, if you're scrambling a certain grade of stuff, that usually becomes more of climbing mm-hmm. um, in the sense of the technical aspect of it. You know, because there is like, like for Mount Rainier, for example, the first couple hundred feet until you get to Camp Muir is predominantly hiking. Anybody can get to Camp Muir on a, on a good day, on a nice solid day. But not everybody has the capability of physically actually like it feels like you're climbing, like your body's just exhausted of getting to the top of Mount Rainier. So when a lot of people use climbing, it's like this mix of technical stuff. And sometimes it, it can be like full on ice climbing. Like last year, me, Erica, her husband, Jared, and our friend, Tony, um, we went to do Mount Rainier last year and we were anticipating doing the Couts Glacier route, which was supposed to be super straightforward and you just take the glacier up. Well, at two in the morning, everything on a mountain looks the same. And we ended up in the actual Couts ice cliffs. Um, So we were straight up ice climbing in cliffs using one ice axe each and like just trying to <laughs> trying trying to get through an ice cliff because there's no way you, you can safely come down. You just have to commit to going up. Um, and, and fortunately, the Couts ice cliffs, they just roll into the to the glacier at the top after a bunch of climbing. <laughs> so yeah, some of it like 
some of it, the route's not there. Like mm -hmm. it's not just some hiking path that you follow along. It's, you have to navigate some things. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, with weather conditions, I'm sure the path can change. Oh yeah. From week absolutely. To week or even day to day. Yeah, absolutely. And then when you throw in the mix of snow or like crevasses and stuff like that, or if you're on purely rock and you're just scrambling and you're dealing with ledge systems, that becomes more like climbing, you know, and, and it can be a mix depending on the mountains that you've done. Like a couple of weeks ago, Maura and I um, and our friend Jenna, we did Mount Anderson and that required us to climb in a bunch of ledge systems. And when you're in it, you're like, nah, this doesn't look steep. And then you look at the photo I took and you're like, okay, if you fell from there, that would be pretty sketch. It's not going to end well. So yeah. yeah. No, I mean, seen a lot of the pictures that you have you know, on your um, Instagram, you shared under like different things. You know, there's definitely ones that I would, you know, consider everything you do climbing. Yeah, you yeah. know, not, not necessarily roped in, hanging out yeah. over a, some big cliff edge all the time, but it's still what you would generally yeah. glamorize and, yeah. you know, see from the Hollywood part of it that, you yeah. know, people would see, you know, you're, I'm guessing you guys are all tethered together and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and a lot of them. Up and, and we have like a general rule of thumb that like, if I'm sketched out, we've made it too far. <laughs> like we're really past so the point So you're the parameter of, for... Yeah, like, which is scary because if I'm the level of like shit's gone sour, then then stuff's probably really bad. <laughs> well, at least at least you recognize that you're the one that gets to make that decision because yeah. if, you know, no one decided who's going to be that, then you kind of just trudge forward until... Yeah. Because sometimes people are afraid to say, hey, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with what's going on. Yeah, and, and so um, my climbing partner, my best friend, Maura, um, she and I usually are are really good climbing partners for that very reason like she knows that she can trust me based off of how I'm feeling or how we communicate and sometimes like if we get sketched out in situations like we'll throw out jokes like oh do I need to belay you like do you want me to set up pro so this we make this a little bit safer um, and she'll do that to me sometimes or she'll make sure that I like kind of calm down because whenever we start climbing and we have to route find I'm always like Mora more and more I see it more and more I see it and she always gets she always cracks up about it because that's that's absolutely how climbing is like once the route goes and you know it goes yeah I'm sure a lot of it there's you know a feel to it and uh you know experience probably goes a long way for yeah a lot of that stuff especially with the conditions changing yeah all the time and, and on steep stuff like I'm pretty comfortable with steep stuff because like in in climbing there's glissading which is like where you slide and stop yourself with an ice axe and i absolutely love glissading like i will kayak my way down some stuff i'm like mount eleanor here in the olympics is one of my favorites because the glissade shoot that you could take is like <laughs> it just feels like a long slide so you just paddle your way down to, to get a little bit faster so when we're on steep stuff like steep ice or steep snow or steep rocks I'm not really like that sketched out on steep steep stuff just because of like the commitment level that you have to have going yep. down it going down it in my opinion is more sketchy than going up so if you can be comfortable coming down stuff then it doesn't matter what the grade is going up because going down is the sketchier stuff no that makes sense i mean if you're comfortable with the speed i mean everybody can ride the chairlift to the top it's the yeah. going back down that can be scary and so yeah. if you're comfortable with the going back down then the chairlift the yeah part. and absolutely and like on mountains like mount rainier or glacier peak or something like that where people usually get hemmed up is actually coming down versus going up because like you've already completed it you're on your way down you want to get off the mountain you're trying to move quick you've got weather affecting stuff and and you start making more mistakes and that's when people tend to like actually fall is on their way down um or like in those rock sections 
you start moving really quickly and you forget about where people are above you or below you so you kick rocks loose and stuff so going down is more sketchier than going up yeah. on steep stuff in my opinion no that if it makes sense i mean also the uh you know you kind of get a little bit i'm sure confidence that oh i made it to the top so going down must be just as easy yeah. or you know i've already done it and so you probably get it some people can have a tendency probably to get a little more comfortable or last a days lackadaisical about yeah the route because well if i did it so yeah and i'm like the worst person because whenever i climb anything literally the moment i get to the top there's like i swear like 30 seconds of panic where i'm like i could call sar to get me off because i really like being home like as much as i love mountaineering for some reason i have like this obsession with being home i don't like going that far away from home so there's like a mini moment of panic where it's like take me home immediately and Everything that I've climbed, we've pretty much come come home immediately thereafter. Like both times I've done Rainier, um, Helens, Baker, Adams, I came home immediately after. And the only one that I stayed was Glacier Peak because Glacier Peak I soloed. Um, and so that's 36 miles round trip. And I, and I did it in two days. And I got to the car and I puked before I got to the car. But <laughs> so I was like, should probably sleep. So I slept for like an hour before heading back home. So no, that makes sense. I mean, not that it's exactly the same, but I know a lot of times when I, when I do longer road trips, that kind of stuff, like we just recently went to Oregon. So the place we went an eight hour drive, we usually split it up on the way down. Yeah. But when it's time to come back, it's in the car and go. We're not yeah. stopping unless someone has to go to the bathroom or get gas. I'd rather just last day do the whole route yeah. than break it up and that kind of stuff yeah so. we did that for shasta like four of us went down to shasta and we drove all the way there and then we rotated sleeping and driving and then we climbed and we came back down and i can't remember where i hopped in for driving i think it was somewhere in, at the beginning of california and then since then till we got to washington i drove because there was like there's no way I, I'm going to stop or go to sleep or anything like that when I want to go home. Like the drive yeah. to go home beats sleeping. <laughs> so it sounds like did all the Washington ones. You did Hood in Oregon, Shasta mm. in California. Have you yeah. done in other states? Um, I haven't done any mountaineering in other states, um, although Denali is high on my list. I just got to find somebody <clears throat> to commit to doing Denali with me. Yeah. I mean, is that just travel th- commitment or is it a more challenging um, than what's around here i mean is it, i mean what's the commitment that someone might have to it issues an entire month you have to commit an entire month because denali is like you get on a plane and then you pull a sled and then you get to base camp and then you get to another base camp and then you get to another base camp and then finally you could start climbing and you're talking about like weather and stuff like that and it's alaska so it's cold and um yeah, that's that's pretty high on my list. And then there are a couple of other things that are international. Um, I don't have a whole lot outside of Washington State or Oregon that I really want to travel to do. Like, I know a lot of people are really obsessed with, like, um, the 14ers in Colorado or stuff like that. And that's just not, like, that's not in my plans of things to climb. Maybe Mount Whitney in, in California, mm-hmm. um, another Cali Mountain, and then South Sisters in Oregon. Um, but I want to start working on some more of the technical ones here in Washington, as well as different routes on Rainier. Um, so I don't really have any plans to climb outside of Washington. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, getting into it, you said you've been for about five years now. 
have you taken any classes or done anything to kind of help your skills? Is it all just been learning on the go from people who you've hiked with or climbed with? So it's pretty much all been learning on the go, to be honest. Um, I mean, based off of what we do in general, we already have, as far as our career goes, we already have some form of risk assessment um, and as well as like medical stuff like first aid, CPR, um, stuff of that nature. So all that's kind of like it just gets bled into to the climbing. Um, and I have taken some some classes like my friend Maura, she owns that um, sound bikes downtown. So whenever she holds classes, I'll do classes with her or um, we'll practice stuff like pulley systems. And um, and I think that's more so the important part. Um, there's a lot of classes that I'd be willing to do. Like I'm one of those people that if I could take a class um, and and up my skills or learn more, absolutely. We just don't have enough for classes up here mm-hmm. um, as far as where we live. You know, there's sound bikes and that's, that's she offers classes and that's about it. The closest you have to go, you have to leave our area to go to. And like that's two hours to go take these classes. Yeah, I would guess like Seattle, you know, I'm guessing REI probably has yeah. stuff every now and then for somebody coming in. I mean, yeah. I know we took one for, um, it was like a preparing for, you know, backpack in the Pacific Northwest type yeah. of stuff, which the class ended up being a guy just talking about all the trips he's ever been on and that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah. that did, not, that did yeah, nothing see, for me. And to that's tell part me how of my problem. It's like some of the classes that, that are offered, they sound great on paper. And then you go to them and, and they're nowhere near what you had anticipated them to be. So as far as like some of the skills that I want to learn as far as pulleys and practicing that and prosecuting, um, that stuff... I can learn by just practicing with people I know that um, train in those things or like um, our buddy Sam that I know through Sound Bikes, uh, he's a park ranger. Um, so if I ever need help or I want to touch up on my skills, I can always ask him or anybody in the climbing community, really. They, there's no qualms with like, hey, by the way, I need to practice some pulleys. Anybody want to meet up with me? Um, but there's some other skills that I want to learn, like just based off of all the stuff that I've been doing outside of work, like the SAR stuff, like it'd be interesting now to take a tracking class, um, because of the, how awesome that information is. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of the wavelength that I'm on now. Like what classes are obscure enough that, you know, some of the things mountaineering wise I can, I can just learn flat out, but there are some classes out there that are specific that i want to get more into like i said the tracking like human tracking and um, yeah i know like a tactical tracking that kind of stuff is what it is and so you know it it, everybody leaves what they call some type of sign behind i mean you can't walk anywhere without leaving some footprint or litter or a bunch of things where people essentially think of a canine dog who's going to be tracking you it's something similar but it's people doing it yeah and they are able to track it i took a like a real basic class. It was like an eight hour class. I think, yeah, I think it was only one day, mm-hmm. but just in that eight hours, the amount of information that you learned is just being able to realize how much sign there really is for somebody Yeah, is crazy. I mean, it, it helped in, um, a lot of different aspects for, you know, in our, in our job, it's helped with identifying, you know, when people are coming versus going and yeah. you know, kind of getting that, that story, but you also just knowing what, to look forward, what signs would indicate that somebody went this way or somebody definitely didn't go this way. Or a yeah. girl, um, I actually ran into the day with my son. We were out hunting and we we're going along a road to one of the units. And I mm-hmm. asked him, like, just look forward and tell me how you know that nobody's been down this road since yesterday. Because we, mm-hmm. I was on that road yesterday. So I know at least me was there the day before. But I said, since I left, how you know that no one's been there? And he couldn't tell me. But then 
I showed them all the spider webs that are going straight across the road. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not an indication that somebody, you know, when the last time they were through there, but it at least tells you that no one's been through there Recently. for a while because yeah. those spider webs are all there. And it was the, I mean, I, I've never seen it, but it was probably easily 50 to 60 spider webs, just yeah. like single strands going from where we went into the unit all the yeah. way until our next little spur off. It was yeah. crazy. And our career is like an ever-changing environment as well as in our personal lives. You know, like the stuff that we do in our career definitely translates to what we do personally. And it's the same vice versa. You know, like if it wasn't for the mountaineering aspect, I don't think that like the fire department would consider me on their technical team or anything like that. But it, it correlates absolutely you know if if we had something a situation on the bridge or on the bluff or anything like that that would require a rope setup it's it's neat to know that my name would get thrown out as a person to consider because of what I do outside of work and verse and vice versa because outside of work people consider what it is that you have to say a bit more based off of what it is that you do and your experience so it's kind of been a it's kind of gone hand in hand especially in and in a way that I wouldn't think you wouldn't correlate the two but it absolutely has yeah no that makes sense i mean for the longest time we've, we've had a tech rescue team through the fire department for quite a number of years mm-hmm. but we've been lucky enough never to have an incident where somebody was combative needing to be rescued yeah for either you know they had a head injury that's causing them to be you know acting yeah. different or they're a crime criminal they're trying to get away and got some type of yeah. precarious situation but you know firefighters their job is not to arrest people yeah. or use defensive tactics against them but yeah And that's the hard part is like some of the things that the fire department does go to is legitimately like it should be a law enforcement aspect. You know, like if it's a rollover or anything like that, they're not they're not there to determine. And, you know, when you first arrive on scene, like granted, it's never like, all right, who did this? Like, what's the problem here first? Obviously, it's it's always been scene safety and the safety of people. But at the same time, there's still some things to consider Mm -hmm. that the fire department can't consider because that's not anywhere in their frequency you know so whenever we respond to those things like if we had a rollover that was like a dv situation or something like that being able to see the scene and like as as far as what we do like makes so much more sense and they can't evaluate that stuff so it helps it helps to know that like they consider again because of the the technical things that i've done you know i've talked with john hall before about omr and mm-hmm. um and the technical team and when trainings are unfortunately it just doesn't line up with our schedule right now yeah. but inevitably you know once they figure out once the city figures out how they're going to square that away like is it a call out like a dre or something like that then mm-hmm. maybe they would consider dre drug recognition expert um then maybe they would consider that, which would be yeah. awesome because I would totally get time and a half to go set up a pulley system just to repel off the bluff for no reason. No, no, <laughs> I mean, I think it's all, you know, like I said, we've, there's, it's only a matter of time that we have an incident where the safety to the rescue personnel is going to be just as paramount at the actual interaction with the, yeah. you know, we'll call them victim. Yeah. Where besides them just trying to hog time and haul them back up the mountain, you know, you need someone who can actually go down there and potentially, but not hopefully, you know, subdue them. Yeah. Or if they start saying stuff on the way up, you know, that's something that you'd rather have a police officer hearing those things than yeah, a firefighter absolutely. and that kind of stuff. And so being able to, you know, insert yourself into that position, you know, we don't have anybody else that has that same background that you do. Yeah. You know, was, um, how I got into the position where I am, where I'm on the uh, active shooter cadre, and I've actually developed protocols for active shooter response and you know written the county policy and that kind of stuff that all originates from my time being working on the ambulance that's the the only reason i got put in the position that i got put in is because i came in the department with my emt license 
with numerous years of working on a 911 emergency response rig, mm-hmm. get into the police department. They recognize that I already have these skills coming into it. Yeah. They send me to tactical medicine school. So I go to 44 hours at TCCC. Yeah. And that transitions to gunshot wound management. And that transition to actually develop my own training program, which yeah. then it just kind of keeps going from there. So putting you and your experience into that same thing. Yeah. You have five years of mountaineering with essentially tech rescue skills without the actual rescue part because you're not yeah. always up saving people it yeah. sounds like we, we know of at least one story that we're going to talk to which is the reason how you got <laughs> hollywood and so it's something that not like you have to train our brand new officer that started yesterday hey we're gonna throw in the tech rescue team yeah. let me show you how to tie a knot yeah. let me show you you know what a carabiner is and yeah. so you kind of jump-started that whole thing and it'd yeah. be you know i think a good opportunity for you yeah the integration part's the weird part because it's like when it's something that hasn't been talked about and and there's no way to necessarily prove its necessity right like you can't be like okay this is absolutely we're gonna need this for sure no that's not how it works in mm-hmm. in law enforcement or or in just rescue situations in general like we all train like i don't train how to um do crevasse rescue because I'm anticipating it happening. Like we train. So in the event that that stuff happens, we're able to, to manage the situation because of our training. And like, that's what I'm hoping is, is if they start integrating me into the technical stuff um, and into the fire department's tech name and and considering calling me out that it, it would be for that very purpose of like getting to utilize those skills, even though we don't know if we need them because we might. Yeah. And that's the thing you shouldn't prepare people for, situations that after they happen yeah, after they happen. You know, if you need it and you don't have somebody ready for it it's already too late I yeah mean, we've been pushing for a long time that you know we're a port city yeah without a boat i know and so you know and our That'd jurisdiction so awesome. technically goes out like a couple of miles past where what would be um you know the end of our city limits into the city yeah we have no way to rescue anybody if something were to happen on you know we're a, a port city with logs that go to china every 45 days and big ships container ships come in to get repaired and cruise ships come in and the ferry and you know an international ferry all like different things that come into the city yeah and we have no way to get from shore to them minus commandeering a kayak or yeah. you know finding somebody i mean yeah calling the county you know the coast, guard coast guard that's around and you know county yeah. but county's boats never in the water full time yeah air and marines never spun up all the time or they're sometimes somewhere else coast guard oftentimes has been away yeah and so you've had to you know bring in somebody from you know Whidbey island or yeah. something like that and so it's don't tempt tj with a me. good time because <laughs> if you told him he'd be called out on from handing a boat that dude would be all about it yeah and you know and that's another example of someone who already has the majority of the training that you would need mm-hmm. to do it so you already save money there in the training wise he's got all those coast guard certifications which is usually the biggest hurdle yeah is getting all those coast guard certifications well he is in the coast guard so that already gets you there yeah we have another agency that already utilizes some of the programs so there's our sops and there's our yeah you know best practices and then you could even do a multi you know agency team or that kind of stuff where okay we can't necessarily put a guy on all the time but let's start putting guys on the county's boat or yeah. on whatever and the air marine guys always offer for us to go out but we yeah. just don't, again we don't have the time to yeah. go on duty to go cruise the yeah whole coastline but yeah and that's the best part about the rescue stuff is it's always like multiple agencies and mm-hmm. and stuff like that participating like yeah. county SAR and then the fire department and yeah been a small area because we don't have the luxury of having a dedicated anything we don't have a dedicated yeah. even our detectives generally call out the other detectives from the other agencies to help them yeah you know we're always back in county county's always back in us or state and vice yeah. versa that being in a small jurisdiction yeah you go to somewhere big city seattle tacoma they just 
handle their business their on their own, own and they yeah. don't need anybody. But okay, so I mean, kind of transition back a little bit to beginner stuff. If somebody wanted to get into this outdoor life and mountaineering that kind of stuff, what kind of stuff would you recommend them preparing themselves for? Mm-hmm. And then what are some first recommended places they should tr- like go? What? Um. So as far as mountaineering goes, one of what a good mountain that I would consider a good mountain as far as very beginner, um, a little bit of technical aspects to it is Mount St. Helens in the winter. Um, or not necessarily in the winter, but like when there's snow on it, it's the beginning of the year, like in May, um, when there's snow on it and there's still a lot of people on the mountain. As far as mountaineering goes, like you've transitioned from hiking, you want to start getting more into like big mountains and climbing. Mount St. Helens is a good transition way for a lot of people because it's steep. So it requires you to be on steep slopes. It, if when there's snow on it, it requires you to use an ice axe. It requires you to be familiar with at least some form of self-arrest, which is one of the first skills you should absolutely learn when you're moving into mountaineering. Like any time that you have to be on snow, you should consider whether or not you need an axe and you should consider not whether you know how to glissade properly um, or be able to stop yourself properly if you start sliding and falling. And that's that's a skill you don't necessarily have to take a class to learn how to glissade or how to self-arrest. Uh, it would be nice, um, absolutely, but there are books like Freedom of the Hills that, that show you that stuff, and like Freedom of the Hills shows you like knot by knot, all sorts of stuff, but for anybody that's wanting to get really into more mountaineering, one of the first skills a person should know is honestly self-arrest and how to glissade, because uh, those are two things that require you to be comfortable with an ice axe, and which is like, again, something that you would need on steep slopes like Mount St. Helens. Mm. And Helens is absolutely a good beginner mountain. It's still got a good grade. It's still really long. A lot of people um, sleep at the parking lot and then they start climbing. And then um, it's something you could do in a day. A lot of people, you can camp out there, like on the mountain itself, if you want to pack in the gear. But it's a good one to just go out and work on your skills for a day as far as steep slopes and stopping and and trying to find the boot pack and stuff. Because usually there's a lot of people out there, but when it's open like Mount St. Helens gets, it's a little bit more route finding or, or navigating, like if no one's been out for a couple of days, like hunting, like if no one's been out for a couple of days, you kind of have to find the boot pack and it takes some good navigational skills. So, you know, as far as hiking goes, there's like the common threads of like um, the 10 essentials, like having a compass, having food, having water, having shelter, stuff of that nature. Those are things that you should already be familiar with um, as far as hiking goes. And that stuff plays into the mountaineering aspect as well. Um, so as long as like, as long as you're familiar with some principles like that, like um, the 10 essentials and the leave no trace, then moving into mountaineering should be like a relatively smooth process. Like you don't need 900 different classes to, to start getting into mountaineering, just slowly working into it. And then like a glacier travel course is helpful as well. So would you say that this is more of like a intermediate hiker level to then transition? I mean, this isn't something that Hey, I just got my hiking poles for Christmas. Yeah. By next month, I want to be summiting St. Helens. I mean, I'm guessing there's a little bit more experience you should build up hiking-wise before you decide to make that transition into the next so, step. So, I would, while I would like to, like, the inner climber in me is like, absolutely, you should practice more. But I 100% do know people that have gone out and they've hiked things that they were too beginner for and they still made it. So... 
it's doable, you know, and, and to be honest, legitimately anything and everything is doable as long as you can acquire the right gear. It doesn't matter if you know how to use it. My preference obviously would be for people to be able to know how to use their gear or know how, or know those skills prior to going out. Because when you, when you don't know those skills and you go out, you put those around you at risk of being hurt, you know, trying to help you out. Um, but there is different grades, like you're saying, like more intermediate hiking and stuff like that. Absolutely. So like beginner level hikes, um, would just be like just walks pretty much in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, then you start moving to the medium hikes, which is more like two to three miles out a little bit more grade. Um, and then you start moving to the more intermediate hikes, which is, you know, more, bouldering or larger rocks or steeper sections and everybody has their different ways of rating stuff based off of their own skills so it's kind of hard to be like yeah this is an intermediate hike because there are things to me that are intermediate hikes that I don't put anywhere near the mountaineering scale if that makes sense yeah so like an intermediate hike for me like storm king is just like a, a basic hike that that's something that a person can go and get done in a couple hours or you're bored yeah. whatever you want to go up there you want to takes an hour to get yeah, out. Just because it makes you wind, it doesn't make it hard. I mean, it doesn't yeah. make it advanced. Exactly. It's just... Exactly. And, and there are so many different things to consider based off of the skill level and knowledge. So whenever like Washington trail association, right, they have their website and they show you these trails and they say what's hard and what's not. Well, pyramid peak is considered hard. I don't know on whose scale, but it's considered hard because of a small washout section. I don't consider that hard for anything. So mm-hmm. It, it, it's very dependent on a person's skill base, you know, and, and that's the hard part with being like, okay, these skills are stuff that somebody should know at an intermediate level because my idea of intermediate is vastly different from somebody else's, you yeah. know? Yeah, I and mean, I think that the scale they generally use is like how physically tough as far as like, yeah. are you going to be winded? Are your legs going to be sore the next day? Yeah. For someone who doesn't do it on a regular basis. Yeah. So the, the weekend hiker, is this a hard, but if it's somebody who's, walked the majority of the PCT or even done the whole PCT. I'm sure yeah. there's not one trail. If they went back to redo it, they would say, yeah, that's hard. Yeah. It's, you know, to them, they're used to it. And so yeah. it's definitely, I would say all those scales, people should realize they're probably for the beginner, maybe just over beginner, person. Yeah. you know, someone who knows the lingo, knows how to yeah. you know, be on their own. That's where that scale. Is yeah. And that's why it's hard for me when people are like, what's a good hike for me to do? You know, like this is my pace or this is my skill level. And I'm like, okay, I don't have an understanding of your skill level. Like you could tell me that you think something's easier, something's hard, but that doesn't mean I have an understanding of your skill level, you know? And, and that's the same way for like mountain climbing in itself. Like I know people that have gone out and have done some crazy stuff, right? And to the rest of society that, that doesn't know what they're looking at, it looks awesome. Like, congratulations, you did something really hard. And then you look at the back end of it where you're like, I don't know how you made that happen. Like, you had to, that was like the chintziest way to go climb possible, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's the same way. So whenever people are like, oh, what's a good hike for me to go climb? I have such a hard time finding hikes for people to go climb because in my opinion, some of the stuff's not hard. So I'm going to recommend stuff to you that I think is going to give you a rewarding view that's short, but you got to work for it because it's not hard in my opinion, mm-hmm. but it might be hard to somebody else. You know, like Jules and I want to go do um, Mount Eleanor and to a lot of people, Eleanor is quite steep. It's quite hard. Some people feel like it's long, even though it's two miles and to the top. And to me, it, it's just another, you know, like it's some heavy breathing. You're going to sweat a lot and we're probably going to stop a bunch. But that that doesn't mean it's hard. 
Yeah. You know, like it's not like it's not hard. I don't understand. Like I can't explain the the like how my mind translates things being hard. No, that makes sense. I mean, like I said, it's. I think that it is for the weekend backpacker type yeah. stuff. I want. Do I take my family on this or do I not? Do I take my, yeah, you know, spouse who's not in very good shape on this or not, or you know, people who have knee injuries. Like I think that's more where that comes into. But anybody who's in any type of, you know, experience yeah. doesn't have that. I mean, we run into that even in, you know, our job for different trainings. You know, people always ask, "Oh, did that training you went to was it hard?" Well, it also depends on yeah. what's your experience for that. You know. Uh, Eugene going to some combat shooting school is going to fly through it like no big deal. But somebody yeah. who might not be as confident with firearms might say, yeah, that was a tough class. I barely yeah. made it through. I barely. And so it's definitely all those things people need to realize are for the real lay person or the entry level yeah. rating scale. If you have any bit of, you know, you know, if someone asked me, was it hard to become an EMT? Yeah, it was three months and I had to study and that kind of stuff. But if I had to go re- redoing my tests or using my skills, I've never yeah. found any of them to be hard after the experience. It's just reactionary, you know, same yeah. being a police officer. Like, Oh, is it hard being a cop? Well, no, yeah. but it took me a while to get comfortable yeah. in being a police officer and yeah. then, you know, moving from there. And so it's really any aspects of our life is that yeah. same, you know, parameter that people need to kind of be self-aware when they're asking those questions to people who yeah. are quote unquote, experts are more experienced that again what you find to be difficult is going to yeah. be vastly different I mean, this is going to be extreme or you know um you know skull and crossbones do not try yeah versus for them they're like they want more of like make me like make me sweat make me yeah. breathe hard but i don't want to feel like i'm gonna die at the end of it or yeah. you know be in any peril yeah. initially and so and that's the hard part with like pnw outdoor women um which i'm a co-founder of but um, in, in the group, we always get these, like, where can I go hike? Or like, what kind of gear should I do? Or they'll see photos and they'll be like, is this hike hard? And you're like, perception's reality, right? So mm-hmm. if, if I do something like little Tahoma and my mind's like, it was steep, but it wasn't hard, you know? And someone else is like, that was the most technical thing I've ever done. You're like, okay, so clearly we're not on the same wavelength. So I can't give you opinions. Cause my concern is like giving somebody in opinion and like getting them hurt like i don't want to be like oh yeah this is this is super easy yeah well maybe easy for me and the same vice versa like i might think something's really hard that like more will just run through you know and like i i hate giving people opinions like that because i don't want to get somebody hurt based off of my opinion that yeah. something's easy <clears throat> nope that's true I mean, unless you have that experience you know with them like you know if you were to hike with somebody three or four times or you know yeah. and then they said hey i want to go try x do you think i'm ready you could probably be like yeah no yeah. I, I don't based on our last couple i think we should maybe do these yeah. other ones first yeah and you know so i think well, yeah doing that you know blind whatever i get it all the time um, i haven't talked about it too much here but you know like for photography stuff i get people calling me or text me messing me whatever all the time what camera should i get for blah 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 yeah Okay, that tells me nothing. Yeah, I don't know okay, how you shoot. <laughs> what's your budget? What are you planning on shooting? Are you wanting yeah. this for making money off of? Is it just yeah. for funsies? Is it for your kid? Is it, you know, do yeah. you, are you, what experience level do you have? Are you tech savvy? Or do you want something that you just pick Point up shoot. and shoot? Then guess what? You have a cell phone that probably takes better pictures than almost any, you know, yeah. cheap Walmart camera you're going to buy. But yeah, if you want a high-end DSLR, high-end mirrorless can you justify the cost and can you justify 
the skill that you're going to have to learn and the technical yeah. aspect of how do you make the camera work. It's yeah. not, you know, you can hand a crappy camera to a professional photographer. They're still going to take a good picture, but you can't you know, always hand a high-end, you know, Nikon D5 for the people who know what I'm talking about or uh, Canon 1DX yeah. Mark II, which are $6,500 just for the, the camera. Base, yeah. And then say, hey, take just as good as photos as what's in you know whatever magazine you're trying to subscribe to or yeah. these different things you know people are looking at a curated you know pictures of like oh i want to be able to do that and that's what their camera that's perfect okay well next time go to your chef who cooks really good food ask them what oven they use go buy yeah. that same oven and cook that same meal yeah right it's not going to work you can't just assume yeah. that you know because of that but you know so back to that i have that i get that same question all the time and yeah. i don't mind giving people advice i'm sure you have recommendations for quote-unquote entry-level stuff like yeah, do, yeah does somebody need to go buy the highest of high-tech mountaineering stuff to start with yeah probably not because you know that i would guess the majority of people who start into something like mountaineering don't always stick with it no. just like photography people oh i really want to do it because you know i see that sally does it down the road and i yeah. also want to start a photo business so i'm also yeah. going to do it. and then six months later they have their camera up on facebook trying to sell it because they yeah. need to make extra money for whatever yeah. it never got used and this concept of like needing high-end gear is so so like so off the wall because like i was broke as hell when i first got into climbing like you just bought whatever gear it was that felt appropriate that could slide and then slowly but surely like i started investing in in actually good pulleys and, and my harness and all of that stuff and then um as my career changed and my lifestyle changed then like now I can invest in high quality gear and, and get that kinds of stuff and like get gear for Jacob so that we can climb and all that. So like yeah. you don't always need super like the the newest of new stuff because the crampons that I had gotten I found off of Craigslist. Like my ice axe I got on sale, a bunch of my gear I got at REI garage sales, you know. And then now it's really nice to just be like, Oh yeah, I just need a new coat. Let me just go buy one. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's you know, for me, you know, I've subscribed to kind of I guess two mentalities. One is um, buy once, cry once. If yeah. you buy the nicest thing that you can afford, because the odds of you having to replace are going to be a little bit less. But don't buy anything that supersedes your skill level. Like the only yeah. time I've ever upgraded gear is when my skill is beyond what the gear that I'm using is capable of. So yeah. when I've gotten new cameras, when I've got new archery equipment, when I've gotten new, um, you know, computer that kind of stuff, it's always been because what I was using was actually slowing me down or wasn't able yeah. to keep up so then i would upgrade but if you're not having that experience where you've maxed out that piece of gear and it's not broke you yeah. don't need a new one just because you think it's going to make you a better photographer or more accurate yeah. you know in, in archery or i'm going to buy this fancy whatever because because i bought that i'm going to be better at that thing yeah it's almost never the case it might make it slightly easier for some things i mean and there are exceptions to that yeah if you pick up a 20 year old film camera and try mm -hmm. to take a picture and then go figure out how to photo process it. That's way different than what we do nowadays. You yeah. Know, just kind of related back to that. So yeah, there are certain things that yes, you will get a little bit of skill boost when with some new gear, but yeah. there's definitely a ceiling to that where it doesn't matter how much you spend on it. You could be the richest person in the world and buy, you know, the fanciest sports car, you're still going to wreck it if you don't know how to drive yeah. it, <laughs> which happens all the time is look at any yeah. celebrity who's bought a car, didn't know what they're doing and they wreck it within, Yeah, I mean, moments even. I mean, there's a comedian that um, wrecked a car that he rented like two minutes later, just trunked it right into a wall and totaled yeah. it. And they're like, well, 
you need to buy that for us now. Yeah, and I've seen some things too where like people, they went and climbed something technical once and now all of a sudden they're trying to climb like the hardest stuff ever. And I remember listening to another podcast of something similar where like this girl went to climb something extremely harder than she should have and ended up getting hurt. And you're like, this is why you stay in your lane. Like, yeah. stay in your lane. <laughs> no, I mean, that's what I'm saying. You have the self-awareness of, you know, checking your skill level and checking your ego. I mean, yeah. when, you're, when you're there to learn, check your ego at the door and figure out yeah. what do I need to work on? Was this inner reflection? Was it was this hard because of what I, what I did or just because yeah. of the current skills and condition that I'm in? I mean, yeah. And mountaineering is slowly becoming one of like no guts, no glory kind of thing. Like, you know, with, with social media being what it is, people are starting to see more things and they're starting to do more things, which is awesome. Absolutely. Go out and, and do those things. Take good pictures of yourself. Be proud of the stuff that you're doing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, again, stay in your lane. Like, don't, don't just all of a sudden, you know, like there's a, a level of not really steps, but there's a level of general understanding that should happen as far as mountaineering goes before you just start going out there and doing stuff. Again, can people go out there and with zero experience and get stuff done? Absolutely. Will takes you a whole lot of places than, than skill does. Um, my opinion, <laughs> sometimes yeah. will takes you a whole lot further than skill. And well, and sometimes they say it's better to be lucky than good. And that kind yeah. of probably falls down that same aspect. That, yes, they completed it, but they probably also yeah. got lucky that something bad didn't. Because it very e- easily could have gone bad. And people would have yeah. been like, yep. Not can't surprised. <laughs> what did you expect the outcome to be? Yeah. But And it all this, you know, people have a hard time nowadays doing that inner reflection of, can, am I actually able to do this? Am I capable of doing this? Because yeah. up to this point, especially with the younger generations as I'm, you know, slowly getting older, is that they're told, you can do anything. You, yeah. You can, you know, don't let anybody say, hold you back and that kind of stuff. Well, that just means that you can work towards anything. It doesn't mean yeah. that you deserve to be given anything or just be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go climb that whatever tall mountain. I mean, I know my skill level. I'm not climbing anything. I'll climb a flight of stairs yeah. like, and be <laughs> proud when I get to the top. But yeah. I'm not going to believe that I can go climb any of the mountains that you've named without yeah. lots of training and preparation and that kind of stuff. And me and you aren't too unsimilar. We have the same jobs. We do lots of stuff outside. But I know where my swim lane is and it's yeah. definitely not doing that yeah and it i'm humble enough to be able to say that i'm not i'm not as badass as hollywood is when it comes to mountaineering <laughs> but it's okay yeah but speaking of hollywood let's discuss a little bit about some of the more interesting or i guess kind of unusual things that you've that mountaineering has allowed you to do or experience well we can start with how i got the name hollywood to begin with um, which the only reason why I ended up with that name is because of a stupid post that I did on my own Facebook. Um, so essentially, some friends and I went to go climb Mount St. Helens, and the weather was garbage, so we split up, and me and one of my guy friends decided to keep going, and my girlfriend and her husband decided to head down the mountain, and we kept going up, and as we were getting towards the top, we ran into two guys carrying a lady, um, like, she just was arm in arm over these guys and we're trying to figure out what's going on and this guy's on this radio back and forth trying to get her off and she's not willing to stand up or sit down or put any weight on her legs and so she's like she said she was like a md or something like that and she said my knees are dislocated or something like that so i took out my my snow pants and i cut them in half and i wrapped them around her knees and 
we uh, sat her down and I put her in a plastic bag that I usually carry for glissading and like pants and we kind of just drug her down in sections we could and arm in arm in sections we could and the guy with the radio was setting up to have a a snowmobile meet us but unfortunately like where the tree line is it's really difficult to get to the section that we're in so we had to pretty much take her all the way down and so I posted this little blurb on my (laughs) on my Facebook about going out and you know um helping with that and it didn't it wasn't the experience that we were anticipating but that's what happened and then um of course it got picked up by the PDN which is the Peninsula Daily News and then it got picked up by some other news agency I think it was Como or something like that um and then I ended up on TV (laughs) and then I ended up owing pizza um and it and it it more so got played obviously like here I am, this lady cop to like help save this lady on this mountain and blah, blah, blah. When really it was like we were climbing in shitty weather and this lady got hemmed up and I just so happened to be a cop. But um, I mean, in, in the light that we're in today, I think it was like, I understand why it would be a good story, you know, yep. and, and why would they, they would run with it. So I got Hollywood because I think that was like my first month <laughs> on FTO or something like that or yeah, my first or like, second month on FTO. Yeah, just back, you're still... Definitely in training. When oh, yeah. I was still in training for sure. I think you even were told like when you're riding around in your police car with them not to do anything because yes. you weren't authorized to yeah. do anything. And so it was a little pretending, I'm sure, in there of driving yeah. around and whatnot. But. And like one of the questions was like, have you been mountaineering longer than you've been a cop? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I've been doing this for two months officially. <laughs> yeah, there's probably a lot of things you were doing in yeah. your life before that that you had more experience in. Yeah, absolutely. And like that was probably one of the weirdest experiences to kind of end up on – on tv for something like that you know because just in like the mountaineering community you get hemmed up it's kind of like all right common knowledge to just stop and get people off the mountain mm-hmm. um but I mean, that's just hopefully common human courtesy is yeah. like okay i'm gonna you know even though i paid whatever money for this vacation trip human courtesy should be help that person in need yeah when it's i mean essentially life or death detrimental i mean you know yeah. was she gonna die that night eh, exposure wise i don't know wasn't there yeah. but if you didn't stop, would she probably been okay? Yeah, she probably would have made it, but yeah. was the right thing to do as the helper? Of course. Yeah. But how many other people possibly would have just walked right by? Yeah. A lot, especially in today's, you know, you probably would have got a lot of people who would have just Snapchatted it or put yeah. it on their Instagram <laughs> story. Says, oh, World look star. at this lady. <laughs> and then, you know, it's unfortunate that we had that we had the bystander effect in full force, which if anybody who's ever taken a psychology course knows that yeah. that's you're waiting for somebody else to do something. You don't want to be the first person to do it. So hopefully somebody else does. So I don't have to. Yeah. And so it's, it's what's good of you, you know, even though we give you a hard time about yeah. it, but it's, yeah. you know, not unwarranted. Yeah. Cause Hollywood ended up being my nickname after having to be on television. So, yeah. and now you're also like our social media person for a lot of stuff. Just, and, <laughs> You always end up in the paper somehow. Yeah, I don't know how. That's because Jesse Major always happens to be in the right places at the wrong time. Jesse, stop taking pictures. <clears throat> That's what they love to do, <laughs> especially ones that they know are gonna, you know, answer all their questions and, you know, yeah. be there to do that. Where you just haven't, you haven't, don't have the experience yet enough to see when the photographer gets there and how to hide from them. That's where that one photo of me in the paper was from. If you saw my face, you're like, shit, there he is, because he came out of nowhere. Sucker came out of nowhere. But yeah. yeah. They're like ninjas. They just, they do just appear. Yeah. And then, yeah. And so the ending up on television part, that sucks because then you owe pizza. And... 
well, you were just talking about how you have this new career now and how you can afford all this fancy stuff. So, <laughs> afford you know, all some, the pizza some, yeah, some pizza is, you know, just yeah. it's easy. Yeah, it's just one of those. <clears throat> so besides rescuing people off of mountains and ending up, you know, on the callback list for Hollywood movies, where uh, what other kind of experiences have you had that mountaineering has afforded you while you've been out doing it? So... One of the things, like, I'm super thankful for the mountaineering communities is honestly the friendships that I've made. Like, PNW Outdoor Women is obviously one of the huge reasons why I'm thankful for mountaineering. Like, um, Amanda, who is another co-founder, I met her one random night where I posted, like, anybody want to go watch a meteor shower out at the ice caves off of Mountain Loop Highway? And she showed up with her husband, or, well, he was her um, her fiancé at the time, but... Um, she showed up, so her and I became friends that way. And then um, my other girlfriend, Megan, her and I met um, out while I was hiking Franklin Falls, and she was just running out for a quick photo. And then um, her, she was parked in her car. Her car got stuck in the snow, so we were, like, helping get her car out of the snow. And so I met her that way, and, and now here we are. Um, in August, we celebrated our three-year anniversary, and 30,000-plus members later – and last year when all of the wildfires were going, we raised over $40,000 for the firefighters um, and stuff like that, doing wildland firefighting. And we have gotten to the point where we have a list of ambassadors and they put on events for us. And um, we have some, like, we release gear periodically. Like, we had a bunch of custom buffs made. And um, this year for our one year, Nikki Frumpkin, who is a um, super awesome, she does, she uh, does drawn to high places and she's an artist and she did our sticker for this year. She was one of our ambassadors. So, um, just the, just the mountaineering community in general has honestly afforded me this great opportunity to have, um, such good people in my life. And, and to be honest, like if anything were to happen to me or anybody is that I know, like PNW out there, women would absolutely, um, absolutely be there to support anything that happened to me and these are people that I don't know like I'll be even at work even when I'm working I've been at Safeway before and someone's like you're JJ from PNW Outdoor Women I'm like yeah have we hiked before because you gotta give me your name homie or I don't know who you are you know and um yeah that's that's one of the the greatest parts about PNW Outdoor Women that I can attest to is if I were to ask any of these women for help um, for anything, I think that all of them would be courteous enough just based off of the community and the building that we've had alone, you know, and PNW Outdoor Women, like, prides itself on being this place for outdoor women to connect, not just, um, not just hiking-wise or anything like that, not just on an outdoor aspect, but just on, um, on an aspect of, like, the same thing we were talking about with the hiking, um, with the helping that lady on the mountain, mm. there's, like, a, a level of, trust that's instilled just by being in the in the group you know um, which yeah, i'm mean, super thankful finding a for. a common interest is usually one of the first barriers to break down when you're yeah. meeting new people and so if you're already in that group you've kind of already have at least that common interest no matter your skill level because yeah. you know most beginners yeah have a lot of questions and most experts hear the same questions a hundred times but they don't mind answering the questions so it yeah. doesn't really matter your skill level probably in the group everybody's probably opening and welcoming you wouldn't have thirty thousand members if it was a bunch of people yeah. who didn't want to share their life experience with, you know, the other 29,000 yeah. uh, members in that group. And so it's it's always good to have that community to kind of fall back on. Um, you know, law enforcement is very much that way. As soon as you're given that, you know, gun and a badge, it kind of opens you, you know, the doors to 
it's almost like a, you know, a key to, you know, special, you know, access to different places where you can go to any other department and you already kind of come in with that sense of respect and, yeah. you know, admiration. Generally, cops are super friendly to other cops yeah. um, when they, you know, come into there, you kind of already have that little level of respect. So I think it's a very similar thing. You're into that community of yeah. some type of generally shared yeah. interest or for us career field. Yeah. And a lot of things have, ha- have happened for me through PNW Outdoor and like, um, when I started getting into mountaineering and hiking, a, a common theme was yes. You know, anytime anybody wanted to climb or they wanted to go rock climbing or hiking. And that's how I met my best friend, Maura, is she posted something about um, a women's climbing night down at the Elwha. And I went and was talking about mountaineering and said I wanted to climb Mount Elklick and Mount Anderson and some other things. And Maura and I connected because she's like, who the hell knows about Mount Elklick, you know? And, and we just got, we just hit it off on that point. Um, and now here we are, honestly, three years later, and, and that's my best friend, just based off of saying yes to some climbing, you know? And that's another thing as far as experience-wise. Like, I wasn't really a climber before I met more. Like, as far as rock climbing goes, I never really went rock climbing. And then just by wanting to learn about it, just to be better at mountaineering or tying ropes and stuff like that, that, that's how I met her and that's also how I got this freaking job <laughs> like yeah. it's from climbing with Chief Smith's wife you know and she was in PNW Outdoor Room and actually she is her and I have talks about getting the <laughs> the logo tattooed not necessarily the PNW Outdoor Women part but the we our symbol is um, a lupine flower and a feather um, and I mean she and I have talked about it numerous times to get that tattooed but um, that's how I, that's legitimately how I got my job is because her and I were chatting and I said, well, I'm considering being a dispatcher and she told her husband who commandeered me at the door. So, and now here I am. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. It's some, you know, it's beneficial to you know people to open up those doors for opportunities and that kind of stuff to say, Hey, here's yeah. this chance, you know, go take the test, go through the process and you know, we'll, yeah. you know, support you and it gets you here. Yeah. Being, you'd be, so you'd be in Hollywood. Enough, yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, here I am. Yeah. So, I mean, so you do the mountain climbing. You do, mm-hmm. sounds like a little bit of the rock climbing. You mm-hmm. wanted to get into tech rescue. You're talking a little bit about, um, you know, search and rescue. Are you yeah. part of search and rescue here locally? Or is that something that you just help out with periodically? Or So, as far as search and rescue here, like County SAR, no. Um, I should probably end up being a volunteer with County SAR. Um but that's another one of those things where it's like, if I'm able to help with like command staff, then is there a better way to integrate that than just being a volunteer? So, and then there's OMR, which um, I'm in the process of setting up with. And then um, just based off of like all of our FEMA stuff that we've had to do as far as like incident command, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I've done some trainings with the Coast Guard whenever they have their um, EOC trainings and stuff. Um, I've done a couple of those. So, as far as SAR goes, um, just based off of our experience alone in, in law enforcement and being a part of large um, large scenes and stuff like that, that's kind of helped with the SAR vibe. So um, right now, I assist with the private command staff for a missing girl, um, Samantha Sayers. So I, I'm in constant contact with her mom and her family um, and people that are on the mountain maneuvering them in certain places. And so there are a handful of us. Um, and I learned about her from PNW Outdoor Women. And one of her close friends posted in the group that she was missing. And that was the first week of August that, that all of this one, she went missing August 1st. So um, 
and it wasn't really a thing for me. Like it wasn't really a, like, to be honest, when she first went missing, it was like, I don't really have the time, you know, to, mm-hmm. to assist with this. And then the first week she went missing by like the seventh, I kept having the same dream over and over again that I was going to find her. Like I would have these dreams that I would go hiking and then I would see her and it was the same one, the same dream over and over again. So I was like, okay, I have to go out and I have to go look at least. So I went out and I went out to look and, um, went and did Vesper peak and looked at everything. And I swear to God, my first response is like the boyfriend did it, you know, cause your mind's trying to, with their cop brains going, you're trying to look at everything and you're looking at the route and you're looking at the parking lot and you're looking at all sorts of things like that. And, and that was the only feasible thing that I could think of at the time. And that's just based off of just bullshit, obviously. Um, all just circumstantial stuff. Yeah, like I mean, cops are inherently suspicious and inherently curious. Yeah. So having those two things put together, you know, looking at all the alternatives. I mean, there's yeah. been lots of times where we've been on scenes of, you know, homicides that were like, all right, let's spitball a bunch of different things that this yeah. could possibly be. And even though we know some might be far-fetched, far-fetched we still kind of talk about it and, just, and run it all the way through to go, yep, that it definitely does not track. So now yeah. let's do this other thing. So even if it does you know, initially seem like it's okay. You're going down this path. That's the wrong path. Well, let's just, let's just ride it out and see where it goes. Yeah. And then, yep. Nope. It definitely doesn't track Yeah. because of a, B or C or the evidence does this, yeah. this or that, or anything can, you know, exclude that path you're going down. But yeah. until you run it all the way through and really vet it out, you can't, Yeah. you know, write it off as not being potential. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that I've, I've been on with, with her family in, in the search process, you know, cause Honestly, like week one, like by March or by August 9th, I was like, boyfriend totally did it, right? Because A, B, and C reasons why. And then as time goes on and I start assisting the family more and more and I start learning about each individual player and learning about the story more and more and having a bigger um, picture of essentially what happened and, and who she is and what was going on, it, some things just become unreasonable like that. Like Kevin, who's um, Sam's fiance he's been on the mountain every day since she's gone missing and not just like not just oh yeah he's he's out there on the mountain like it's a it's a strenuous hike um and it's not to me it's not hard but it's a strenuous hike it's relatively straightforward and he's been there every day like flying drones and stuff like that and and making sure that there are resources and people willing to go out and search for her um you know, when we did the walkthrough and we did that hike, it was me and my friend Anastasia. And I was just voicing out a whole lot of things like, okay, when you get to the summit, it looks boring in my opinion. Like there's not, there's not a whole lot of things that from the top that I would be like, I got to go look at that. Mm, There's probably like three things from the top that's worth it. And so that's one of the things that I've kind of been helping on is where would she go legitimately though? Like, where would she go? And, you know, there's all these questions like, did she get kidnapped at the parking lot? Did she get kidnapped at the summit? And you're like, okay, if you've been there, summit's not reasonable. And if anybody killed her at the summit, you'd know it by now. If she was kidnapped at the parking lot, you would drop a piece of gear. Like, I don't care who you are. If you're pointing a gun at me, I'm fighting you in the parking lot. You could shoot me in the parking lot. I'm not going with you. You know what I mean? I would rather die in a parking lot and have somebody know that that was me dying in a parking lot versus never having a trace. You know what I mean? So there's this whole concept that people have of like, she was kidnapped from the parking lot. And like, she had so much gear with like, she never signed the trail, trail log going out or anything like that. And 
there are, there are some rich lines that she could have gone and explored. Absolutely. Why? I don't know. I wasn't her. I don't, I don't know what she was planning on doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some things that are, that would be worth it to go out there and climb. Um, and as I've made connections, like I said, with her friends and her family, um, her mom, Lisa is, you know, she's, um, like a woman of faith to begin with. And like, she is very adamant that Sam's still alive. And you know what? Fine. Sam's still alive and we're going to find her until we know otherwise. Um, so I <laughs> never expected when I went for that hike to, to be in the position that I'm in now, which is essentially, um, like I said, I people that want to volunteer, they coordinate with me and I put them on different places on the mountain and we see where it goes. Um, and I never expected to do that, to be honest. Um, and it's and it's neat to be a part of the process. It's neat to, um, you know, like we've been doing command calls where we check in with Lisa. We let her know where drones are flying. There's a canine up there right now. Um, there's just everybody that's volunteering because Snohomish County pulled out of their search. So it's a volunteer army, and it's neat to be a part of yeah. that. <clears throat> that's what you need is, you know, someone to, you know, keep that charge going because – you know, we live in an area here that we've had what two hikers go missing this year. And yeah. One of them was found, you know, relatively quick. I think it was within a week or two. Yeah. And you know they were deceased. Yeah. But then the other one was just found a year later. A year later. A little over a year later. And so you know it takes time sometimes. And you don't yeah. necessarily know that you know until like I said until you find a body to you know you have to run all those scenarios. You know, yeah. Did she get you know kidnapped? Okay. No. Here's all the reasons why that doesn't yeah. pan out. Okay. Here's why the parking lot doesn't pan out. Here's why. I'm guessing dragging somebody off a summit is probably pretty difficult. Yeah. Just yeah. physically, not mentioning probably all the other obstacles that are going to be in your way with yeah. other hikers and other things going on. And you yeah. know, trying to unwillingly take somebody down a mountain probably isn't an easy task yeah. for anybody. But I'm sure there's, you know, lots of conspiracy theories out there that you can, you know, run through. And Every eventually, day, yeah. one of them is going to pan out yeah. or she's going to be found. And then that's going to, then you start, leave like, okay, how did we end up here? Here. You know, it's the, one of them around here, you know, was a, you know, a Navy guy who, you know, unfortunately, you know, it ended up figuring out that, you know, he took a tumble trying to get around an obstacle. Yeah, and they, it took, what, 10 days to find him? Yeah. And he was found by volunteers. And the only reason why they found him is because they saw his backpack. He took a 300-foot fall. Like, the only reason why they saw him is because they saw his backpack hung up in the tree. And, like, that's one of those things when you're considering, like, if you put me on the top of Vesper Peak, and you told me I had to make my way out and I can't use the original trail. I would be out in a day. So something had to have happened from the top. Like you can look at the surrounding areas and you can see all of, this, all of the areas where it would connect back to something, some sort of major trail, right? And it's all these valleys that connect back to major trails. So if she were to have gotten lost um, and just started wandering, she would end up somewhere reasonable would she if she fell in in any major obvious areas she would be pretty visible like if she fell off the summit it just there's a glacier underneath there like that's where she'd be um if she fell off the main trail well i can't really think of a single spot off the main trail that you could fall and and really just completely disappear like that mm-hmm. um so she had to have gone off trail somewhere and that's the spots that i'm coordinating to put people on like i have a team today that's repelling onto a ledge system that's on a ridge line because it's been some of the sections have been hard to get to, especially since if you don't have anybody that's technically sound to do that, you're not getting anybody there. And then, and it's such a huge area with so much stuff unsurged. And 
a lot of stuff was searched by helicopter, but you're talking brush, you're talking large rocks. A helicopter yeah. won't see that stuff. <clears throat> yeah. I don't see good honey use, holes, but... You know, if you use, you know, FLIR, and at this point, if she is in a spot where you would need FLIR to find her, she's yeah. been deceased long enough that FLIR's not going to matter. Yeah. And so, you know, so yeah, then you talk about, you know, canine or cadaver dogs. Well, then how do you get them to where... They need to be to then yeah. check that. You know, you said it's hard to get technical people into just climate. Now, can you find a technical person who also has a dog who can then get, you know, so yeah. you're, you're you're talking about very obscure specialties yeah. to find some of those things. And it potentially could be a long time. Or another potential that isn't, you know, completely unfounded is that she just left. Yeah. And, you know, you always have to keep that there. It's not an unheard of scenario where it's just, I'm going to make it look like this happened and then... Just disappear. disappear yeah and so as long as that's always there you can't really ever stop looking yeah until one she services somewhere else or two you find her because yeah. those are the only two conclusions we're gonna have i mean essentially we had a case was it last year where i mean it was all over social media mm -hmm. where this 17 year old girl runs away yeah. from home and she has to be captured somewhere somebody has kidnapped her yeah or the alternative is she just left, but nobody yeah. wanted to believe that she just left. Why would she leave? She comes from a perfect family. She comes from all this privilege. She comes from all these things. Why would yeah. she ever leave? Well, lo and behold, on her 18th birthday, she shows up on the other side of the state, walks in and goes, this is me. I'm fine. Leave me alone. Yeah. And disappears again. Yeah. That's, you know, so that's even, you know, in our sleepy town is not an unheard of thing. And so that's something that I tell you, tell that person in services. Yeah, exactly. Everything's, and, you know, a potential. And that's why, like, this mission to find her is pretty strenuous because, like, you know, if she fell somewhere obvious, right, and, like, became disoriented, you wouldn't, like, collect your gear with you. Like, you wouldn't just pick up your poles or anything like that. Or, or you know, people have gotten concussions and they'll strip themselves freaking naked. You know, there's there's so many weird things that happen when, when people obtain head injuries. Can it, can, like, the weather come in and she gets socked in and not know where she's going? Personally, no, I don't think so. It, you know the the weather up there can turn absolutely but once you start walking and you kind of get a feel for where it is that you're going you know where you're going yeah. and the weather hasn't really been that bad yeah this month i mean well i guess last month yeah now it's um the second of september so it's been over a month but yeah. it hasn't been i mean minus the wildfires that have caused a lot of smoke yeah but that's not going to be enough and that was all after yeah you know that august 1st when you know you said that she was last known to have been seen yeah. or know where she was going so yeah and there were some phone pings and stuff like that and people were like well an sos call was made no an sos call wasn't made from her phone like if there was there's so many techie things to figure out where that happened from no there were cell phone pings you know there was one at the top and there was one just southwest and in my opinion just based off of being a 20 something year old female i did the same thing when i was up there i was at the summit I turned my phone off airplane mode to see if I had service for God knows what reason. It's not like I'm making any calls or texting anybody. And then we moved to another spot and I was curious as well there if I had service there. So I did the same thing. I turned my phone off airplane mode to see if I had service. Mm. You know, you it's to, not uncommon. <clears throat> had to update your Instagram story and your yeah, Snapchat exactly, and that exactly. kind of stuff. That's a normal 20, you know, something year old, you know, female would do. So those aren't uncommon. And in the same thing, also my experience is cell phone pings aren't, gps they're not yeah. going to pinpoint this exact location was the last note i've had them be blocks away or even half mile to a mile yeah. off 
Yeah, just like whenever we thing. get 911 hang-ups and they're in the ocean. Yeah. You're like, this is totally where that's happening. Yeah. yeah, there's not a single boat out there, but this 911 ping's happening right out of there in the yeah. and so, you in know, the bay. And it's unfortunate when there are some people that do come in through different groups or whatever that do throw out those really outlandish things that, oh, this SOS thing. Now someone has to track that down, vet it out. No, it's not yeah. true. Dispel that. Well, someone who might be only a casual observer, the last they information they got was the SOS. They didn't get the follow-up. Yeah. You know, media never prints the redaction. It's yeah. always what's the hot thing right now. And so yeah. it's... And I think people f- tend to forget that, like, there is information that the rest of society is not privy to, right? Mm-hmm. Like, no, you're not going to get... Like, the story is not going to get laid out 9,000 times for the 30,000 people that are in the Find Sam Sayers group. It's just unreasonable. Mm-hmm. And we're experiencing that right now because Mariella, God bless her heart we're dealing with tons of drone footage and every time there's drone footage, people post on this spreadsheet. Well, unfortunately what happens is everybody thinks that their photo that they saw is more important or priority than the other. So then they post it on Facebook or then they email each individual one of us that are, that's searching. Um, like there was a lady this morning who messaged me, who sent me this photo of some trees and was like, there's a person in there. And I'm like, that area I know has been searched and people were in that area yesterday and that is not a person she's like they need to search again and you're like okay no i'm not going to waste resources like to put people in that area when there are areas that have not been searched yet like and so it becomes this back and forth game with these people and like lisa says all the time like don't feed the squirrels but god there's so many fucking squirrels yeah well <laughs> another re- you gotta feed yeah, one of them that, uh, you know this job that you have with perry too because we get that all the time where yeah you know, the quote unquote town drunks wandering down the road. How many calls do we get about that same person? And it's yeah. like, Oh, this person needs to be checked on right now. Yeah. We just checked on him five yeah. minutes ago and he's normal for him. Yeah. Five minutes later, we'll get 10 more calls. Oh, this person's, you know, he's definitely in distress. Someone needs to go ch- right now. He's going to die right this second. Yeah. No, he's not. Yeah. He's okay. Again. Yeah. And you know, it, again, it wastes those resources of, how yeah. many times we've we been diverted to those types of things when we could have been out doing something Absolutely. more useful yeah that you know is a better use of time and the resources and is more likely to come to some type of beneficial conclusion instead of yeah yes we've already checked that area yeah you know we don't need to tell everybody everywhere that's been checked we have it under control yeah and but. this is one of the first times i've really had any experience with mediums i don't know if you like pas ever dealt with mediums uh yes i have but not in i have a I've had a case, we'll call it, with somebody who believed that they were clairvoyant mm-hmm. and were experienced in, you know, reeky things and told me a lot of stuff that was very hard to prove mm-hmm. were going on, but in that person's mind were definitely occurring, but you mm-hmm. can't also disprove it because how yeah. do I disprove something that I'm not experiencing? Yeah. And so I've had that experience with mediums. And I had another one where a guy was calling saying that he was part of not like the Ghostbusters, but he was wanting like the FBI equivalent of a Ghostbuster because he said he was being haunted by some type of otherworldly being. So I've had those experiences, but never with like a true medium where someone's like hand to your card and says, this is what I do. Yeah, it's really, um, the medium part has actually been quite intriguing at best 
because like there's so much information and it's so hard to sort through what's what is feasible and what's not right because there's so much information at once and like everybody has these feelings or they're in tune to these things or like people are sending their dreams in and personally the reason why I'm in this is because I continue to have the same dream of her so I understand but at the same time like some of the things that we get sent is like there's a fox that's taking care of her and you're like what (laughs) what where did this come from like some of it's so so outlandish you're like all right I need a a mini book that I'm going to create of like one of those Pictionary books of like the shit the medium said today, you know, and, yeah. and some of it, you know. But all that information dilutes the actual story or things yeah. get skipped over because if this is the 30th outlandish thing that you've heard today and that 31st one isn't outlandish, but you're just exhausted from all the a third you've had to listen to or it's intermixed in there somewhere, you might miss that one yeah. piece that really would have, you know, sent you down that right rabbit hole. Yeah. And then it always ends up being somebody later down the road finds that Polaroid. It's like, hey, here's the th- Like, this answers all these questions. You go, yeah. oh, yeah, I got that, like, X number of months ago. But yeah. I also got it with all these other, and so I didn't think it was anything. That yeah. That's happens. And so it's, it, especially with the medium info where you're like, man, I don't know what to make of this stuff, you know? And, like, just recently I got an email of, like, six different coordinates. And they're in, like, some of them are in the same spot, some aren't. And you're like, I don't know how to rule out which one is more relevant than the others. You know what I mean? And the hard part is without there being any sort of evidence with like where she might be, everything is literally square one. Like we started at square one when Snohomish County pulled out and we couldn't figure out where they searched and where they didn't search and how they searched and how they didn't search. So we had to restart the map all over again with where volunteers were searching. And that's the hard part with the drone footage and medium information because it like comes in different waves, right? Mm -hmm. So like, all of these photos will come up from a certain day and then there'll be one day where Kevin's out there checking on one of the photos and then finally a couple of days later he's in a different spot and then there's another photo of that same area he was just in that he's got to go check on and that's insane that mountain's huge and that's a long that's a long process like yeah. no nope. i mean if you have the resources to assist coordinate with the people who are tracking it so yeah. that it's actually useful i mean you get, you know, every time you see natural disasters or anything like these events that happen where it pulls together such a large group of people, you get people with the organized ones and then you get the freelance ones who are just doing whatever. And sometimes they can be more obstructionist than helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, that's why they have specific language now for drone people yeah. for natural disasters because down in California, they were having drones getting in the way of the fire retardant helicopters and planes being able to put it down because they wanted to get whatever footage or yeah. do whatever it was. So if you're not coordinating with the group, odds are you're probably more in the way than anything. And I'm yeah. sure you're more than happy to have more volunteers come forward and say, hey, here's my skill. Here's my yeah. abilities. Here's what I could potentially help you with. Yeah. How can I best be utilized? As yeah. opposed to, hey, I went and did this all by myself. Yeah. Please pat me on the back and tell me you did a good thing. And then, yeah. you know, that's realistically not the best way to use yeah. that resource. That's another hard part It's like, there's a lot of people who want to go out and they want to help, right? But I can only use so many people on the main trail, you know? And I don't want to be like an asshole and be like, sorry, unless you can do some technical stuff, I don't need you. But we're kind of to that wavelength because, like, I need, you know, when you start moving into she could be on ledges or she could be in a crevasse or she could be in a hole somewhere, you are going to need the gear to repel or something like that or the technical knowledge to do so or set up pro and all that kinds of stuff. And we're moving to that point. We're moving to that point where um, 
some of the areas that need to be searched haven't been searched by even Snohomish County because you can't get to them without the like without the pro and Snohomish County wasn't going to be willing to risk people to do that, which I understand in our perspective. Mm -hmm. I mean, while we're working, that's stuff that we think about all day, every day when we're, when we're running code or something like that, like what's the risk versus reward. Um, But as a volunteer aspect, I mean, if you want to use it to go out and practice your skills and possibly look for a person, cool. Like I'm all about that. Yep. But you know, it's, it's again, it's the, that drunk's already been checked on 10 times. So the trail's already been checked on a hundred times. There's people hiking that trail probably every day, yeah. at least every weekend. Yeah. You, you know, being, you know some people just want to help. And yeah. so, you know what? I'm sure there are avenues. Again, if they reach out to you, I understand, I, you know, you've already, this already done. What other ways can I help? Yeah. Is there a place that I can donate to to help get resources to the volunteers? You know, is yeah. there, you know, whatever, you know, so the the cost isn't as bad probably for some of these things. I'm sure some of these things could be potentially expensive and people yeah. want to help out. You know, we have, um, you know, for the unfortunate circumstances, you know, where an officer involved shooting happens or an officer gets killed, you know, we, there's a great organization. Um, I know it's here in Washington. I'm not sure if it's, you know, bigger than that. It's just called the Soup Ladies. And all they literally do is go to big events mm-hmm. and make free food for cops and yeah. firefighters and that kind of stuff. You know, that could be a potentially, hey, we have this big search effort happening. You want to help? Well, we need someone to pass out water. We need somebody to... Yeah, you know, makes food for when everybody gets back when we re up that kind of stuff. You don't necessarily have to be the one that goes and finds her, but you can still be the one to potentially help. Yeah. And I would guess there's opportunities for people like that to go out there. Yeah, who might not have the skills to do the technical stuff, but they still want yeah to help in some way. Yeah, and there's like a combination of like the technical, like the mountain itself, and like how strenuous it is, and then like the comms, like not being able to communicate. Because the only person that I have comms with on the mountain is Kevin, because he has an in reach and we message back and forth. So like. While he's searching, he's also, like, the person that I keep points and check with people, you know? And so it, it there's so many things to manage at once. And it's awesome to have multiple people to, to kind of assist in that. While I wish that command staff was, like, 30 people, like it is for us, you know, or, like, EOC when you have a bunch of people down there and they're managing this or that or the other thing and everybody has their set roles. We're kind of just like, okay, if you can handle this first before I can get to it because I'm at work, that'd be nice. So, yep. And, you know, eventually, unfortunately, the longer this goes on, the less and less the resources are really going to be. It eventually yeah. might end up being you and Kevin and you yeah. know, a couple other painful people because other people moved on to the next missing person or the yeah. next, you know, whatever thing where they can, you know, their skills can be actually utilized with, you know, potential of. Yeah. A, a better outcome than, you know, what we're looking at now. Yeah. When, on our drive home, Jacob asked me yesterday, he's like, so if she's not found today, tomorrow, anytime soon, what's your plans? And I was like, well, I don't really know, you know, like at this frame rate in time, do I have any intent of like stopping helping? Not really. You know, when, when the weather hits, unfortunately, if, we're, if she's not found by then, there's going to be a lull. It's, it's just with with the weather being what it is you, you can't search for a person um in some of those areas with there being snow you know and i hope that it doesn't get to that point um and i hope we find her soon because you know there's a lot of closure that needs to happen yep. um but in the event that this doesn't end the way we'd hope it to um i don't know i feel like i would be out there next year once the weather clears doing the same stuff if not going out myself because there's at this frame rate in time, there's already a connection that I've made with her family. 
um, and with her story and stuff like that. And that's just some stuff that you don't let go. Like, if she was if she was any other gal in PNW out there, women, I'd probably be doing the same thing. If she were any of you guys, I'd be doing the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, at this frame in time, if you go missing, you should tell your fucking people to call me. Like, just put me, <laughs> just put me as a resource because if it, it's somebody that I know that that ends up going, or even somebody that I don't know, just somebody in the in the in my women community. You mm. know what I mean? Like, yeah. And you know what? Your list of people to make sure I get called out. I know out. somebody in the law enforcement world that not necessarily, you know, what encompasses police corrections and all that kind of stuff has gotten lost yeah. here and people have had to go out and find them. Yeah. And so, again, it's not a, yeah. a snare that might not happen. I mean, heck, I go out hunting tonight and, you know, twist my ankle and then, yeah. you know, my wife comes home and, hey, he's supposed to be back from hunting. Yeah. And now we got to go find him. And trying to find a hunter unless you knew where they're where they were going to go hunt you still have a lot of area generally to cover because yeah okay he may or may not be in this unit yeah but if he's not in this unit well then where else is he? i mean luckily you know you generally find their truck first mm-hmm. or whatever vehicle they got there so at least narrows it down but you know there's some areas you know people go out um elk hunting you know west of here yeah they could be 15 miles in somewhere that's and the same then way they for like high out. buck and stuff like that like out yeah. in the enchantments area Hi, Buck, out there. You're a ways away. Like, yeah. yeah. So by the time they're actually searching for you, that's a large area to yeah. search. So, uh, anybody, and they're trying to find somebody wearing camo. Yeah. Hiding in the woods. So anybody uh, listening to this podcast, if you uh, get lost, just make sure you put my name on the refrigerator as a person to call <laughs> in the event that you get lost. Because uh, yeah, like, I'm pretty committed. You'll find them. Yeah, I'm pretty committed to the concept of finding people at this frame rate in time. So, yeah. Now, I felt it was it was kind of a morbid question on Jacob's end, you know, like, how long do I plan on doing this? Because he understands the concept. Like, sometimes he gets annoyed because I'm always on my phone. Like, and for good, in, in our minds, for good reasoning, you know, mm-hmm. it's trying to find another human. Um, but it's kind of a morbid concept to be like, well, how long do you plan on doing this if it doesn't go? How you guys hope it goes? Yeah. And, like, we don't ever want to think of that, obviously. You don't ever want to be like, well like you don't ever want to think of the concept of like what if we don't find her because yeah. that's well, not I mean, it's, it's a, the equivalent question of you know how long would he wait if you were to pass away like yeah. it's, it's essentially the same question like how long would you wait in to start dating after i died tomorrow i mean it's a cent- that's is literally the same question of how long until yeah. you move on yeah to the next person yeah and i think for the family's sake you know especially watching that whole jacob gray situation unfold that you know they waited over a year and if that were me waiting for any of my family members trying to find some closure on that, I, I don't think it would ever happen. You know, like, I don't think that I would ever stop. Like if, if Jacob went missing today, I'd probably be like, I'm going to take a hiatus until we find him. Like, you know, I'll be broke. That's fine. And I think that's the same for anybody. If any of their family members went missing, it's easy to say like, Oh, you know, just like, move past it but mm-hmm. if jules went missing you you probably you know yeah. you you wouldn't stop either and i no. think i'm on I mean, that way we had a, a sergeant before your time whose daughter was traveling over in india um and her the people that she was with actually got well you know captured for lack of a better term and the only thing that saved her was the fact that she was white and they're like we don't want to deal with the headache of essentially kidnapping a white person and yeah. so they sent you know her and whatever other people on the way they kidnapped the rest but you know initially he just got the word that you know her 
group, I think she's over there as a missionary, is mm-hmm. essentially in this peril, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, me and a couple other buddies talked to him, like, when we spin it up, yeah. I'll I'll drain my bank account. When we find India, we're going to go find her. Yeah. And, you know, it's essentially that, you know, same thing of the, yeah. you built that community and now you have some type of, you know, connection to them. And then yeah. we're, we're going to work until we find them. Yeah. And that's like, you never anticipate that happening and no one can, no one can ever fathom their response to that. Right. No one can ever fathom like, all right, so-and-so went missing. Like, let's finally put our plan into action. That shit's yeah. unrealistic, you know? And, and so for people to have this idea of like, well, you might just have to like wait and like move on. No, no, fuck that. Fuck that. Like, and, and I can only imagine what it would be like to be Lisa right now, to know that your daughter's missing, to not know where she is, not know what's going on. And could she have walked away? Yeah, absolutely. Anybody can walk away from their life at any frame rate in time at any given moment. You don't need a good reason to people do it all the time, but do I think that's what happened? No, you know, and until proven otherwise, yep. I'm going to help look for, her, you know, and like, I think that's, again, one of the reasons why our, our career set us up for something awesome is like, we don't like open-ended stories. No, we don't <laughs> we, we need like closure that doesn't in like work. All of our cases. Yeah. That doesn't work for us. Like I started listening to some podcasts of missing people and they're intriguing, but I stopped listening to them because I absolutely detest not having closure on yeah, some of these knowing. cases. Yeah. And there's people who still, I mean, people have gone decades not knowing what mm-hmm. happened to their children or whatnot. And obviously by that point, the it's always peril that yeah. their kids have ended up in. But it's, yeah. you know, how many pe- how many kids are on the missing and exploited database right now? I mean, mm-hmm. thousands for sure, if not, you know, more than that. And yeah. all those kids have parents yeah. who are, to this day, probably still Searching. staying up, you know. Yeah worried about them i mean you'd hope i'm unfortunately i'm sure there are a small majority of those that whose you know parents are out addicted to whatever substances and really don't ever think of their child but 99.9 percent of them have somebody who's actively looking for them in yeah. some way and who hasn't moved on yeah and it, you know and it's good that you are doing this for someone who really 30 days ago you didn't even know who they were yeah and you know now you're you know, you're vested you're you're yeah. in it you're in it to win it. Yeah, I know. It's it's odd to like have a se- like a, a second family that was never your family to begin with, and to check in on people and like make sure that they're okay for their day, um, that I've never known prior to this situation. And it kind of sucks to like have such a shitty situation bring people together. And a couple a couple days ago, like it was weighing on my mind so much to like think of finding her that like I I wrote a legit letter to her and like. In the event that we ever get to find her, it'd be nice to finally share. But it's not happening until we find her. Yep. So. <clears throat> nope, it's good. All right. Well, we went down a little dark path there for yeah. about <laughs> 30-ish minutes. Yeah, but so. it's important. It's no, important. It's I think everybody needs to, you know, see that. And also see that there's another side to us as law yeah. enforcement. That we're not just, you know, AAA at the badge or armed secretaries or yeah. hoodlums that are out there, you know doing that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't know you, but I can speak for myself. I wasn't bullied in high school, so I need to go out and bully more kids, or I wasn't yeah. a bully and that kind of stuff. I mean, I came from a pretty normal-ish, you know, upbringing. Yeah. And so we are just normal people. We have normal hobbies. Like I said, I'm going hunting <laughs> after this. I don't know. Either I'm going to edit I don't know if search and rescue is a normal but hobby, but we'll take it. <laughs> it's it's we'll not take an it uncommon one, though. I mean, we have yeah. a, a fairly active 
search and rescue group yeah. around here. I'm not, I, I've never had to utilize them. I've never worked with them. But I never want to. I know <laughs> that if I needed them either for myself or for law enforcement, we'd call them. There would be a fair amount that would show up to go do it. And so yeah. it is something that, you know, and you always see the, you know, the Red Cross people and they're, mm-hmm. you know, similar, that kind of stuff. There's always people who are wanting to go out and help and, and do yeah. something. And some do it, unfortunately, for un you know, altruistic reasons, but the most people just really want to go out and do stuff. Yeah. But again, try not to get, try not to get too dark. We kind of had this <laughs> on a couple lighter notes a little bit. So I know that you won the Diz listen to the podcast. I'm not sure if you're completely caught up, but you'll, you know, I'm sure you're, you're a weekly subscriber, right? Yeah. Of there's course. two that I'm missing. Um, the one with Jules about the diabetes, which I find interesting anyways, because yeah, carbs great. and sugars and it intrigues me at best about how, garbage the actual fitness community actually can be because you know it's the whole low sugar and high carbs and you're like no this is yep this is no, wrong i could i could have an, an entire couple podcasts on yeah. just <laughs> bad diets and yeah. what works and what doesn't and my opinions on those and i'm not a nutritionist so that's all the hour would be opinions but yeah it doesn't matter. but we're gonna go through this again this is the pivot questionnaire just what ever pops into your mind i think some of these would be kind of easy for you some might be a little bit of a struggle like we had oh man but we will see so there is a curse curse word already on here, so I, you can't use that for your first one. Oh, so what is your favorite word? My favorite curse word? No, that comes later. Oh. So you can't you okay. can't spill it all on the first one because we know that your favorite word is a curse word, but we'll get to that. What's my favorite word? Man. And swear words don't count. I mean, I guess you could have two favorite words, if, and we'll, you know, you can use your most favorite swear word, and then we can go with your second favorite swear word later on. This is harder than expected. Everybody gives me that. It's because we especially put you on the spot. For, especially for the favorite word part, because I'm like... Yeah, no one really thinks about the word. The other ones, I think people come to a little easier, but the words always trip everybody up. That and noises. Noises gets everybody, too. My favorite word. Honestly... It's probably Tucker, because, like, Tucker's my homie. Like, that's my dog. And Timber, too. L- literally your dog. You're not like, just saying that yeah. as, like, a pet name. It's, yeah, I mean, no, It is a pet name, but it's literally. not. Tucker's my dog. So, like, if I think of, like, if I think of a word that I know is going to make me happy, it would have to be Tucker or Timber, like, because it's Tucker and Timber now at this frame in time. Sorry, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> so then what is your least favorite word? The C word. Yeah, I can see that. I'm not a fan of it. And like Fairbanks has like the thunder C word and I only use that when I'm talking about my sister. <laughs> <laughs> so what is a trait that you find attractive? Um, Communication. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty firm communicator. Like I'm very direct and I expect people to be direct with me because that's the only way I'm going to get it, to be honest. When people try and talk to me um, in a very vague way, I kind of pick up on it. But if you're not direct with me, it ain't. So communication is really important. And that's that's a, um, a trait that I, I really like because I've I've personally worked on how I communicate with people. Um, and so when, when people understand how I'm communicating with them and they make an effort to communicate with me, um, that, that's a very attractive attribute to a person. So then what is a 
attribute that to you is unattractive or that is, you know, not necessarily a turn off, but, you know, similar kind of. So I'm not like, I don't, this isn't going to strike anybody as surprising, but I'm not like the sweetest human. Like I, I don't like really cutesy stuff. I don't like flowers. I don't like getting flowers. I don't like a whole bunch of romantic-y garbage. So that, that super like fake romanticism stuff that like you see in movies like, you don't want the Hallmark movie. No, literally in movies where like high school kids are about to kiss, like I get annoyed. And like movies, like I had to go watch um, Fifty Shades of Grey with some of my girlfriends. And literally me the entire time was like, fucking hell. Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like this shit would never happen. Like it's who because- has a room just for this? And then they do the most boring stuff anyways. Like, so yeah, like I... Well, it's because he's a billionaire. He gets away with it. If he wasn't a billionaire, he'd be, you know, a predator. Yeah. So, so I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm, that's probably an attribute that like, I'm, I'm not much of a fan of is like that super, uh, super romantic, um, stuff. Yeah. It's not, it's not. So I'm guessing life. you don't like romantic comedies then. No. <laughs> no. You're not going to pop in any of those where, you know, they, the guy, you know, always wins at the end. The No. So, no. we'll get to it now, and you can finally unleash it. Though you have, what is your favorite curse word? My dad's gonna get really mad, but it's probably fuck. Like I like, especially when I'm agitated or I'm really angry, I say it a lot. Or really excited, and I'd be angry. Yeah, or really excited. Yeah, either one. If I'm telling a story, it probably comes out. I've done a lot better about managing when I use the word, um, but. When I'm like, if we're out drinking or we're at a party or something like that, and I've got a story to tell, um, you better start the counter. <laughs> yeah, we probably shouldn't have a swear jar when yeah. those things happen. Like a door clicker. Poor. Yeah. So, what sound or noise do you love? What sound or yep. noise? Yep. What sound? So, the last one we had was like someone, um, Jen from last week, the sound of rain for was her noise that she liked the most. So it could be something like that. It could be, um, we've had one where, you know, the popping of a beer top was that person's favorite, you know, noise, something that, again, you know, you associate Tucker with happiness. What's something that if you hear, yeah, I was going to say, cause like when I come home, they lose their minds. Like they both Tucker and Timber both make this sound like they're really happy to see you. Um, and that's probably, that's probably one of my favorite sounds other than the, the cattle dog bark starts happening. And then I start losing my interest really quickly. <laughs> but it's just that initial excitement. Yeah. That initial excitement. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, that I like hearing my kids until they start talking too much. Then I don't like to hear them anymore. Yeah. So that's, that'll have, that's up there is when the dogs are excited that I'm home. So what sound or noise do you hate? What's your nails on the chalkboard sound? Whiny children. <laughs> Blood out. Like, I think everybody knows this. Everybody in the office has heard this. Like, when you're, like, little kids talk to the universe and, like, are super whiny about it, I, for some reason, I can't do it. Like, there's a sound that they make when they're really whiny. I can't. I just can't. I love children. I, I, no, I don't. I do really well with children, and I'm really good with kids, um, but there is a sound that children make that I, I can't. I can't. It's probably, I don't have children, so it's okay. <laughs> I like to say it gets better, but there's th- things that my children do that would be innocuous to some people that when I hear it, it drives me through the absolute roof. Yeah. So it's not completely unheard of. Yeah. So what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? 
no matter if you're doing it for free, you would still like to try it. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a profession. Um, if I could do something for free and I could continue to try it, I would go to school for everything. Like I'm, I'm one of those people I like to know a lot of things. I read a lot of things. Like I know the most random news articles. I listen to the most random podcasts. Um, I would go to school for a lot of things. And, and that's if I could just have a career of taking classes and, and learning. Um, absolutely. I actually hate going to school. Um, I just really like to learn things. And I wish that more of it was along the lines of the things that like there's tons of classes available without a doubt, but there are classes that I want to take that aren't even classes. Like they aren't, they're aren't, like, how do you find this? Like the tracking stuff. Like mm-hmm. how do you vet which one's a real program, which one's not, you know what I mean? And I want to take like, um, sketch artist stuff cause I can actually draw quite well. Um, so there are things that I want to do and, and, uh, things I want to learn about, um, that are across the scope of all types. Like I would take a botany class cause I like my plants so much. <laughs> so, yeah, like most of your uh, Instagram stories is your plants more than yes. anything else. Okay. Plants and your okay. dogs. If I could have a career outside of law enforcement, I would probably like move to Florida and open up like a plant shop where I sell really, really expensive plants and grow plants. So but not you, the special kinds. Like, should be a weed dealer? Like, I'm not sure where we're going here. Not the special kinds. No, no. So yeah. on the opposite end of that spectrum, what profession would you not like to do? Even if I paid you a million dollars a day to do the job, you would still say, nope, I'm good. I wouldn't be a cop in Seattle. <laughs> You're the second person to say that. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's it. If for sure, if there's anything that now, I... Now, any part of Seattle or Seattle proper? Nah, I-5 corridor. So nothing I-5 quarter. So no Port of Seattle, no King County, no No. Kent, Auburn, none of that stuff. No, I don't care how much you make. I can see that. The last one, you know, was more specific to just Seattle PD and they're mainly their administration, but no, I I can see that. I-5 corridor, I'm, I'm not a city person by any means. Um, I moved around a lot as a kid and to be, to be set here where I am means something important to me. Um, and I can't, I can't fathom being in a, big city and having to work in a city, especially as far as the police department goes. Granted, I've never worked for a large agency like that, but at the same time, I don't want my name to just be another name on the list of people that show up to work. Yeah. You're a number. Seattle PD has thousand people. You're a number. Yeah. You, you potential to be just a number. Yeah. You can go your whole career without meeting everybody. And yeah. You probably would. Absolutely. I can see that. Okay. So not getting spiritual with it, but if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I'm surprised you showed up here. <laughs> wrong line yeah. yeah that's uh yeah um if if there is anything that i'd like to hear it's probably that i didn't suck as much as i thought i did you know because we all have our impressions of ourselves so hey, you didn't do so bad yeah exactly I'm like ah. no i get it all right so the new part of this thing that we're kind of in with also is what's your edc what are you carrying every day not to work because that's kind of boring but on your well, everyday self, what are you carrying? I just picked up the SIG P365. So that is what I've been carrying regularly. Shoots like a dream. Um, I'm quite surprised. It's really small, um, which is really nice. Just because as a female, being able to fit a, a small firearm on you 
when you're wearing regular clothes. And I know, like, guys' perception of regular clothes is way different than a female's. Like, we like wearing tight shirts and stuff like that. So finding a firearm that I can hide, like, actually um, in the waistband or appendix carry or anything like that. I don't ever purse carry. Um, it's got to be on my person. So um, that that 365 is nice and small, and it and it actually hides quite well, especially by appendix carry. Yeah, no, I... I mean, I don't wear clothes. So I can't relate in that aspect. Back from like the earlier today, you know, my right now Jules is out of town, and she was trying to figure out how to comfortably carry, you know, her firearm out of town. Mm-hmm. And we spent five, ten minutes mm-hmm. trying to figure out what was going to be the best way. Where it's not just, you know, it's not just the fact that I'm taking it. Where can I actually access it if yeah. I need it? It's not, oh, I have this gun. It's in, you know, the bottom of my purse, locked away, and whatever. Can you actually yeah. get that if you're struggling yeah. with a perpetrator? And you know. Those belly bands tend to be like a popular thing, but I don't know. I feel like they're harder. They would be harder to access if you don't practice accessing them, you know, and this is not a normal motion. Like reaching for your, your stomach is not a normal motion for a lot of people, especially that notion of pulling up your shirt right there, you know, that far up, you Mm -hmm. know, when you appendix carrier, you, um, carry on your hip. It's, you don't have to lift your shirt up that high. Mm -hmm. But with the belly bands, you got to go really high. Yeah, I know one that was, you know, popular, you know, my wife has tried is um, the flashbang holster, which is actually like a Kydex holster that you affix to your bra. Mm-hmm. And you always kind of joke, like, the last thing you're really going to do is you're going to show your boobs before you shoot the person because you have to lift your shirt up so high to get it. Yeah. That if it's not a draw Unless stroke you... that you, well, it's you usually attach it to the bottom. So you lift up, you like, you kind of pull it down. Yeah. I do have ones that do fit in the side, but then. In the Pacific Northwest, how many months out of the year can you actually wear a collared shirt or a loose enough collared shirt that you can reach in and grab that? I mean, if you're yeah. wearing a sweatshirt, you're never getting that. Yeah. If you're wearing, you know, a jacket, you're never getting from the top down. Yeah. Um, it's always going to be, you know, from the bottom up. And so like, we always just kind of joke that, yeah, you know, you're going you're gonna to flash them and then shoot them. And so yeah. at least they go out happy person. But, yeah. Yeah. I've never been far from appendix or hip carry. Yeah. And I can't. I've tried appendix just for me in my body type and my comfort level. I just never do it. I carry. Yeah. In that, you know, they call it, you know, the four or five o'clock position where it's yeah. right on the kind of the back hip. And that's also what I've been used to. And, you know, if you, again, if you, you don't, also don't, if you don't train wear high-waisted it, pants. No, because no one should wear high-waisted pants. They don't make any <laughs> sense. <clears throat> um, but if it's not something you practice, that draw stroke, and, but you practice a different draw stroke, the odds of you doing it right when under stress is very low. They have yeah. video of off-duty police officers carrying um, in a shoulder rig when they generally carry, obviously, on a duty belt in a situation off duty where in the video you can see them attempting to draw their firearm from their, there what would be their duty hip multiple times before that they then clicks goes, Oh, nope, I'm carrying it over here today. Yeah. So if you don't practice that yeah, all the That's time, the thing it's... with like outdoor stuff too. Like when in PNW outdoor, I mean, we get this all the time of like, I want to carry a gun and what should I do? And you're like, practice, like practice where you're going to draw from, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now with us and, and all of the rolling we have to do on our hips and, and on our duty belt and practicing that stuff and getting off your gun and getting it out. That's the same thing for when you're wearing a backpack and people forget that stuff all the time. Like, yeah. oh yeah, I'm going to carry it and I'm going to carry it on me. And then your backpack's blocking you or it's in your backpack. Useless. Yeah, you got to dump out your whole backpack yeah. and it just doesn't make any sense. And I mean, practice with it and be willing to use it. If Absolutely. you just want it because it gives you a sense of protection it's it's a useless it's yeah. a paperweight and if it's well i'll it'll just scare the perpetrator away if that person's already committed to the level of that they're going to do something that you need to defend your life yeah that gun's not necessarily going to stop them yeah. you shouldn't rely on that being it you should be i carry a gun every day 
because I may need it to defend my life. Yeah. And I'm going to it's not do a that fear when it comes thing. to and no. I and I I'm detest not when, and I detest when people say that like oh it's a fear thing that you're carrying actually it's not like I'm not scared of anybody I'll fight you people here like yep. it, it that's not a thing like I carry because inevitably well hopefully not but one by the chance that one day I would need to have a firearm on me I have it yep. it's and, better to have it and not need it than need yeah. it and not have it I mean there's I'm sure you carry lots of safety gear when you go out mountaineering that yep. you hope you never have to use yep. But if you if you do need it, you're gonna be damn thankful that you had it, as yeah. opposed to the person who just like, oh, I don't need it today. Yeah, and they fall in the crevasse and die. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thanks for coming on. This was a little bit longer one. We're about an hour and fifty with after all the other stuff. It'd be almost a two-hour podcast. But yeah, you can totally cut on. me talking. Yeah. <laughs> Anything you want to plug? I mean, it sounds like the you have a women's group. Yeah, PNW Outdoor Women. Um, if anybody wants to join, we have a women's group. Uh, we also have a page, but PNW Outdoor Women group is uh, what to join. Um, we is also that on Facebook, Instagram, yeah, both? on Facebook, um, and both actually. We have PNW Outdoor Women on Instagram. Um, my friend Megan and I actually Megan pretty much primarily runs it, but we have an Instagram page called Mountain Studs. Um, which is just pretty much dudes pantless in the wilderness. It's actually quite funny. We actually have a huge following on that too, but uh, mountain studs. And then uh, if you want to follow any of my adventures, Pacific Northwesterner is my Instagram account. All right, perfect. And as always, you can find us at Discussions Around Our Table or Discussions AOT on Instagram. It's my only form of social media. And I'm still waiting on people to start sending in questions and topic ideas, so make sure to get that done. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent any organization, current, former employer, agency, community, group, government entity, or individual present during the recording. The host of discussions around the table and their guests are not subject matter experts in the topics that are discussed unless strictly expressed by the host or their guests. Any information given on the podcast is done so in good faith, if no malicious intent, or intentional misrepresentation. While the host and their guests have taken every precaution to ensure the content is both current and accurate, errors can occur. We make no representations as to the accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information on this podcast. We should not be held liable for any errors, omissions, or delays in this information, or any losses, injuries, or damages arising from its use. It is the listener's responsibility to verify their own facts and form their own opinions. The listener should consult with a licensed professional, familiar with their particular factual situation, for advice before making any legal, financial, business, or personal decisions based on the information from this podcast. Any action taken based on the information of this podcast is strictly at your own risk.